Good morning and welcome to the Father's House Church. Whether you're new here or you call TFH your home, we're so glad that you've decided to join us today. Our church family exists both in person and online, and whether you're in the room here or you're watching from home, we're so glad that you're here. If it's your first time here with us, you can fill out a new here card both online and in person, and we'd love to get to know you. But for those of you who are in the room here with us, we have a special coffee mug and a magazine that we'd love to get in your hands. Just a couple things we want you to know. We have an amazing kids program available in both of our services here at the 9 a.m. and the 11 a.m. The only difference being that we offer an additional program called The Bridge. This is a ministry available for grades five and six and is in our second service. Look for the large TFH logo in our lobby and proceed down the hallway and our volunteers will be more than happy to help you check in. Along with our weekend services, we also offer many great weekday ministries. From our Impact Youth on Friday nights for our grades 7 to 12, our Young Adults, Play Cafe, and many more. You can find a list and descriptions of all our groups at our website, www.tfhchurch.ca forward slash get connected. If you've still got questions, visiting for the first time, or need more information about our ministries or events, you can find all that out at our church center desk, located in our lobby, just left of the auditorium doors as you're leaving. The Father's House Church is a church built with care. We want to celebrate Jesus in every area of our life, accept ourselves and others while pursuing maturity together, receive God's grace daily to fulfill His eternal purpose, and engage our world by equipping one another to truly care. This is why we're inviting you today and every time that you join us here at TFH. So, welcome home. Welcome to the Father's house. And the service starts right now. Good morning, church family. We're going to worship Jesus today in an air-conditioned building. Who's excited about that? I figure we should just camp out here on those hot days, be in the house of the Lord together. I like it. You can stand and join me. We're going to sing to Jesus this morning. Come, let us worship our King.
party that lasts forever. So when it says this is what heaven sounds like, this is what heaven's going to sound like. The angels sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And they never get tired of singing that. So let's sing the bridge again. This is what we get to look forward to in heaven, worshiping our true God. You might need to clap with me though. Thank you. Here we go.
Just a doorway into resurrection. 
before you. No pretensions, no pretending. We are true selves before you, God. You see all of our motivations, all of our selfishness, and you love us so much. Jesus, we want to focus on you. We want to reset on you this morning. We're sorry, Lord, for the things we've made worship, the things we've made our spirituality into, when really it's all about you, Jesus. Help us simplify this week. Just look into your eyes. Find our footing again, because it's all about you, Jesus. Yes, pray this in Jesus' name. I want you to turn to someone next to you and tell them they are greatly loved by God and Christ is in them. And you can welcome them, give them a handshake or a hug.
Good morning, everybody. So good to see you all. Uh, you can start making your way back to your seat. We're going to get the service started. My name is Cole Barker. I'm one of the interns here on staff. And you may be wondering where Pastor Peter is, but we've been praying for him to finally take a vacation. And so he's on holidays now, and we just bless him wherever he is, uh, probably hanging out with the family. So I'm going to do announcements this morning. So I'm here to tell you that there are kids programming in both services. And in this service only, we have the bridge ministry, which is for grades five to six kids. And so you can head there if you're in here right now. Uh, but if you do have kids staying in the service, we do have kids uh, packs and activities and programs sort of in the back corner over there. And feel free to grab one at any point during the service. If you are new here, we want to invite you and welcome you and celebrate you. And so if it is your first time here with us this morning, um, I'm just going to direct your attention to the front uh, or the front chair ahead of you on the back of it. There's a new here card that you can fill out. And if you do happen to fill it out, you can bring it to the church center, which is just the left out through the auditorium. And you can exchange that for an awesome gift. We have a mug and a magazine for you that just sort of details the history of our church. And so if you're new here today, you can do that. If we have guests online, you can find a digital card at TFH, uh, where is it, sorry? tfhchurch.ca slash new here. You can go there and fill out a digital card. So why don't we just welcome any guests who may be here for the first time. <laughs> awesome. Well, we have a couple special announcements for you this morning. Um, you may have seen them last week, Daniel and Jessica King there in town. Daniel spoke an awesome message. And we just want to invite you, they're inviting all of us, to the King Ministries Missions Banquet for a night of celebration as they share what God is doing on the mission field in their life. And that sounds awesome. It's going to be on Friday, August 5th at 6.30 p.m. It's going to be held right here in the church building. And so if you want more information about that, you can go see the church center, which is just out there. Uh, to the left, and they'll give you all the information you need for a number to call, a number to text, and just sort of how to RSVP. And so everyone is invited to that. Of course, you can bring your family and friends. Um, however, it is adults only. So that sounds awesome. Um, some of you may have noticed our Walk for Water campaign, all the shirts being sold, the banners, the information being promoted. Uh, we had a huge successful time last year doing Walk for Water, raising over just $10,000. And it was a lot of fun. We had a big group come out and walk six kilometers. And this is all for raising awareness uh, for access for clean water. And so typically, you know, small villages who don't have access to water, they have to walk six kilometers there and six kilometers back. And most of the time, it's not even clean water. And so together to raise awareness, we're going to walk six kilometers just like we did last year. Uh, this year, though, however, all the money being donated is going to a school and training facility in Mozambique in partnership with SAM Ministry, which is one of our mission partners. And so this is very exciting for us. We're excited. And more information uh, can be found at the church center again. Every week, we like to pray for five families. We pray in the morning as a church group, and you can join us. But if you can't come, we ask you to pray along for these five families. So we're, this week, we're praying for Reese Rempel, Jim and Kathy Sandmeyer, Clayton and T Tina Rosostin and family, Mark and Jenny Rosendahl, and Lawrence and Lynn Rosachuk and family. So we'll be praying for them throughout the week. Last announcement, if you are a guest, please feel under no obligation to give. It's the joy of our church family to give towards God's work in our ministry and his mission in our community. And so we'll just take up a time of offering right now. If you want to send an e-transfer, you can send it to give at tfhchurch.ca. Of course,
course, you can drop it off at the church building as well as the offering buckets um, just on either side of those doors on the way out. So why don't I pray over the offering and then we'll watch a quick video highlighting our successful block party that happened yesterday. So I'll just pray quickly. So God, we thank you for this beautiful day. God, we thank you for your hands upon this building, upon this church, upon this church family. Father, we just rest in your presence, and we thank you for how faithful you have been through people's donations and their offerings, God. And we just trust that you're going to use this money, these offerings, to just continue to work in our community and our families to bless those in need. So God, we trust that you are the provider. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Awesome. Let's watch this video highlighting, and then Pastor Tyler's going to come on up. Make some noise for our block party. So good. Block party was a, an awesome day yesterday. We had an opportunity to go into our community to serve them by loving them. And that's the best part uh, about the block party is that uh, we just get to communicate our love for someone else by just doing something kind, which uh, we can do more of, right? The world needs more of that right now. So I had a few people come up to me throughout the, the day and just say how awesome it was to see smiling faces again. You know, we, ha we have to remember, church, we get to do this often, but this, this is pretty special that we have a place to gather together and do this. Um, not everybody has that, has a place to gather with more than just friends or family they know. And so we, uh, we got, had an opportunity to do that yesterday, and that was so cool. So uh, just a quick show of hands. Who had, a, who had an opportunity to serve yesterday? Who was serving yesterday at the block party? A few hands all around. Yeah, let's give our, our volunteers a round of applause. Awesome. We had such a great team of volunteers and uh, Pastor Stacy and Taylor and Candice and Skylar, Mitch and Cole and the whole team, David, everybody put so much work and effort into planning and uh, putting all the work into organizing the event. And it was just such a, an awesome thing to see come together and really bless our community. So one more time, just thank you for everybody involved. It's just awesome. So good. Yeah, such a great event. We got to do more of that stuff. We got lots of fun things happening with this Walk for Water coming soon. It's going to be great. I have a question for you this morning that I want to start things off with. Why do you go to church? Okay, it's 1132, so I'm looking for some engagement here this morning. Okay, you can do this. They were uh, engaged exactly an hour, two hours before this, 933. Uh, the church was responding to me. Why do you go to church? Just shout back at me. Tell me. Yeah. To learn and find community. To learn and find community. Anybody else? To worship God. To worship God. To find yourself? Anybody else? Putting you on the spot right away. First thing. To recharge. To recharge. To be obedient. These are great answers. Really, really good. Yeah, um, for some of us, the temptation might be to ask, why should we go to church? Right? Like, I ask the question, why do you go to church? Um, but it's actually, I find, personally, pretty easy to say why I think I should go to church. Um, when I think about the reasons I should go to church, I have a whole list. Um, but why I actually come to church it can sometimes be a little bit different, and maybe even my priorities are a little bit unique compared to why I should go to church. I want to take a moment this morning, just a minute, to reflect internally. Each of you, I want you to ask yourself that question today. You don't have to say it out loud, but I want you to ask that question honestly to yourself this morning. Why 
do you go to church? Just take a second, even online, just right now, just take a quick second. Think about this. Why do you go to church? We're not going to take any responses here on this. I'm not going to ask you to come up and share with me, but I want you to think about this to start this morning because it's important. When it comes to, when it comes to church, a tough but clarifying question is, what if the songs we sing, the way we pray, the way we worship, what if the way we're doing it is not actually pleasing to God? How often are the things we do when it comes to worship just done out of routine and religion rather than reliance and relationship? What do we expect? What are our expectations? What I'm getting at this morning is a deeper thought that what if our lives are wrapped up with a spiritual pursuit of cleanliness, this image, we want our external image to appear clean, but on the inside, our hearts may be far from God maybe further than we're willing to admit. And we're actually offering something empty or hollow or less than we could or less than even we know we should. Maybe, maybe it's even more for us than it is for God. So the, the challenge is, is what needs to be reset in the way that we worship? I have to admit that it can be easy on the outside to show a hypocritical expression, a pretend faith, uh, um, a look-at-me faith, Um, You know, that I'm a kind of Christian faith. (laughs) I'm doing all the right things with, you know, the inside of my life, the inside of my heart might actually represent the opposite or even, not even all the time, but just even at times might represent more of a challenge, more of a struggle. And I know this is many, this is true for all of us because it's existed forever and ever and will exist forever and ever. But as your worship pastor, I'm going to be honest with you this morning that it grieves my heart sometimes to hear the the grumbles and and frustrations and even straight up judgment um, of people who would ask me to honor a specific preference over that of the body of believers around you, let alone of that of God. See, sometimes the things we grumble about, the things that we complain about, we think that that just stays in our little sphere but it doesn't. It, it never does. I can tell you that in every area of life, whether you're a pastor or not, it never just stays with who starts it. It always leaks. It always goes out. And the challenge is, is that the, the, the ask for me to honor your personal preference comes even before the ask to honor people around you, let alone our God. And I don't say this from a prideful place. Um, I actually really honestly long for your support. I long for your encouragement. I long for you to somehow give me value. That's wrong, but I long for that. As a sinner and as a human being, I crave your approval of me. That's wrong. But, but if, if we recognize that as a, as a church family today, as we're jumping into this series, that, that this is probably one of the areas that we have the greatest potential of growth, all of us together is in the way that we perceive worship, how we view worship. So we're going to spend the rest of the summer in a series that we're calling The Reset, Rediscovering Worship, and we've got some incredible weeks lined up for you here. But I want you to know that as a pastoral team, that we are sensing a real and powerful move of the Holy Spirit during this time, and we have felt convicted to begin shaping and sharing how we are to live as true worshipers of God. 
And this isn't by accident. This is incredibly intentional because if you miss this opportunity to reset, you might miss the fullness of what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you. And as we reset, we're going to be prepared for a new revelation as we journey together. And let me tell you this. It is amazing to have a lead pastor and Pastor Greg who is sensing what the Holy Spirit is doing and saying and be preparing us, all of us, for each season to come. It is amazing to be a part of a team that is listening, that is attentive to what God is doing. And so there are big things happening and going to come, and we're excited about that. I'm going to pray this morning and ask you to pray with me together. God, we come to you today. We just ask, God, that you would reveal to us your goodness and your truth. God, I pray that uh, we wouldn't hold back because of a fear or maybe even discomfort, God, but that we would push in and lean forward, God, in receiving what it is that you have for us today, we pray. Amen. When we talk about worship, um, what most people tend to do is they think about the music, right? I do. That's kind of my job. I, I love to think about music. Um, they think about the style. You know, I like the style of worship. I don't like that style of worship. Um, or maybe they think about the environment. In other words, maybe they think uh, worship should be done in a very reverent, a very holy environment, maybe volume low or lights lighter, where someone else would be like, no, 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 like it needs to be rowdy, it needs to be fun, we need to tear the walls down, like we need to party, you know, we need smoke and lasers and all these things to experience God, right? <laughs> maybe, you know, there's all these different spectrums and, you know, there's this thought that after all we serve a joyful God, so we need to respond to him in a joyful way with great passion. The question is, is which one is right? You know, it's probably pretty obvious that like neither one is exactly correct, but maybe is there like a middle ground? Which one's, which one's right? Which one's getting it? Let me ask you this. How many of you have ever been to a place of worship where the expression is different than what you experienced this morning during worship? Anybody? Yeah, all of us probably. When you think about it, all over the world, because of all the different styles of people and races, different life situations, cultural music, the creative ways to express our worship to the goodness of our God are almost limitless all over the world. When it comes to our expectations of worship, it's important that we clarify and define what it can look like. But get this, no form of expression of worship is right when our heart is not right. No form of expression of worship is right when our heart is not right. And, you know, the Pharisees in the Bible, we, we often talk about them, the religious leaders of the time. Uh, they were kind of like, to the letter of the law, they were really, um, you know, intentional about following the way things ought to be done. And uh, whenever I read the Bible, I don't know about you, but whenever I read the Bible, I, I tend to put myself in the position of like, on the hero side, right? Like I tend to think I'd be closer to understanding it from Jesus's perspective or even the disciples perspective than I am to like the, the, the worst sinner, right? Like I don't read the Bible thinking often of myself as maybe like the villain, right? I don't do that. Maybe, maybe you don't as well, but we're not really conditioned to do that. We don't see movies and put ourselves necessarily always in the, in the position of the villain. We often put ourselves in the position and lens of the hero. It's challenging. But the Pharisees, uh, you know, overall, we, we can't come down on them too hard because the more I think about it, the more I'm convicted, actually, that I probably would be more like them than dislike them. They were questioning Jesus. They, they were asking him some things. 
and um, his disciples were following Jesus. They were, they were engaged in following him. But the thing is, is they weren't really following the traditions of the elders. And the Pharisees noticed this, and they, they were kind of questioning Jesus about the rules for cleanliness. And, and well, how, how, are they, how are they, you know, uh, becoming holy? How are they clean before God when they need to worship? Well, what do you require of them to be clean or to be considered clean and able to worship the Lord? We read this, and Jesus responds in Mark 7, verse 6. He says, this is Jesus, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Whoa, <laughs> right? These guys are asking, like, why aren't your disciples following the law? Why aren't your disciples observing the way things are supposed to be done? And Jesus is saying, man, you're missing it. There's no form of worship or expression of it that is right when your heart isn't right. That's what he's getting at. We have to understand that true worship that touches the heart of God is not about the style of music, but it's a reflection of the condition of the heart. True worship that touches God is not a reflection of music or even religious preference. It's a reflection of a heart postured correctly toward God. The story of worship was told in the Bible defines worship in a radically different and surprising way. And it's a story that really easily surprises us because we discover, surprisingly, <laughs> it doesn't primarily feature us. It doesn't feature us. The star of the story is God, who is at the center of all worship, but is also at its origins in history and its origin in our hearts. The story of worship, like the story of the gospel, is all about God. We understand this thing to be true. I'm going to share this idea with you. You become what you worship. You become what you worship. When you gaze in awe and admiration and wonder at something or someone, you begin to take on the, the character of the object of your worship. Those who worship money become eventually human calculating machines that are only concerned with income and outcome at all costs. Those who worship sex become obsessed with their own attractiveness or prowess. Those who worship power become more and more ruthless and power hungry. So what happens when you worship God the, for the creator that he actually is? What happens when you worship God the way we're supposed to worship God? Because you and I were made in God's image. This is what happens. Worship makes us more connected to our humanness. It makes us understand how truly human we are. And this isn't really easy or, or, or comfortable because when you gaze in love and gratitude at God the, in the image that we were made, we grow. We become more aware. We become more conscious of the way that things are supposed to be. You discover more about what it's like to be fully alive. So many people, and this is true, come, so many people that come to know Jesus often say that before knowing him, maybe things were going all right, but I didn't really have everything figured out. I didn't really feel a sense of peace. Everything felt maybe a, a bit chaotic to me. But I can tell you time and time again of people in my life and people in, in the lives of those around me that I know that have come to know Jesus, they say that the peace that they experience following their commitment to live for Jesus is unlike anything they've ever experienced. It's true. Knowing Jesus, my heart and my mind experience a peace like unlike anything else. When you give the same total worship to anything or anyone else other than God, you shrink as a human being. It doesn't feel that way all the time. Um, when you worship 
the creation as, as if it were the creator itself. It doesn't always feel that way. But that very way of doing things, worshiping the creation instead of the creator, is actually just a complex way of saying idolatry. When you worship an idol, you might feel a brief high, you know, like a hallucinatory drug. The, the worship in that way achieves its effect, but it, it, it achieves its effect at a cost. And when the effect is over, you are less of a human being than you were to begin with because that thing you're worshiping doesn't define you. That thing you're worshiping didn't create you. Worship is offering our lives as an act of respect and love toward God. It's a willingness to, to exalt God and yield to his will. We can never comprehend all that God is. We can't. But the more that we worship him, the more we love to worship him with every breath, he reveals himself to us. Worship is an expression of our awe and praise for who he is. It is giving to the Lord the honor and glory that he deserves. And you would know this to be true by attending this church for any length of time, that worship is not something we do occasionally as a ritual. It is something we need to do continually. It's something we need to do rep repeatedly. It's the way that we can express how we love him more than anything else in life. And true worship is not confined to just singing in a church building. When I'm talking about worship today, I'm not just talking about singing or praise and worship music. I'm talking about everything that extends from us as an expression of gratitude to our Savior. That's worship. Everything we do. God can change the world through people who truly worship. And most of the time, revival, even experienced throughout the world, is a product of worship and then confession. And so we should always worship God, expecting the Spirit of God to work in and through us in a powerful way. He moves in different ways, and sometimes he moves for salvation, and sometimes for deliverance, sometimes for sanctification or for healing. But if we bring our lives to God as a living and holy sacrifice each week, we will be able to have a true worship experience. Because God-centered worship starts and it ends with God. It starts and it ends with Him. If we're going to really love and really worship our God, our worship should be an extension of the life we are living for Jesus Monday through Saturday. Our worship, you guys, cannot just take place on Sunday. And then all of our actions, all of our behaviors, all of our routines, somehow we hope that they'll reflect the goodness and glory of God. They won't. It is way easier to go away from this place and expect that this was enough for you than it is to go, I'm going to choose to be in awe of the Lord every single day so that when I come on Sunday, it's an extension of what I'm already doing throughout the week. When we come to worship God, each one of us have to expect something in return. And I'm not saying this in a way that we need to, you know, demand anything from God, but there's some exciting expectations that we can receive. We're going to look at four expectations we can receive from God-centered worship and how it changes things in our lives. We're going to look at this together today. We can expect to receive something from God that'll be a real blessing to us, to our personal lives, but the best part of today's message is that each of these things are going to be a blessing to you as you allow them to change and transform your life, but they're also going to bless and transform the lives of others around you as well. So we're going to turn to Isaiah chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to them now. If you don't have a Bible, hey, we encourage you you can download the Bible app on your phone. You can ask for a Bible at our church center. We would love to make sure we get one in your hands so that you can access the Word of God there as well. Isaiah chapter 6. Um, we have this incredible chapter that talks about this call of Isaiah to his prophetic ministry. And um, during the call from God, Isaiah was privileged to have a true encounter with God. And 
This encounter changed him forever. Isaiah had the opportunity to have a true worship experience, and you'll see what I'm talking about this morning. When we come to worship God, the first thing that we can expect in return is this, a sense of God's presence. We can expect a sense of God's presence. We're going to read Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 to 4. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. See, there was smoke at the beginning, guys. There was smoke in church at the beginning. We just got to fill it up. (laughs) What do you expect when you come to church on Sunday? Do you expect that image? (laughs) You know, six sets of wings? Like, I don't. I don't expect that. That is, that is unrealistic to me. When I read that, I'm like, that is an image to behold. That is powerful. That is transformational. That is incredible. I want to see that. Lord, reveal that to me. Wow. But can you imagine if we came each and every week expecting that kind of, that, that kind of revelation of who God is? Wow. We, we should expect each and every time we come together to experience the powerful presence of God. One of the goals of worship is to connect us with God, to connect the people of God together with Him. When we pray, when we sing, give, or take communion and hear His Word, we want to have people experience the presence of God. We want to be in that position to experience this absolutely mind-blowing revelation of who God is. And this is happening right now, but whenever a person has encounters with God, even in the Old Testament, they were never the same. Moses had his mountaintop experience. Abraham had an encounter with God. In Isaiah, we see Isaiah, he, as he relays to us his experience with the presence of God, and he had an encounter with God, and he knew he was in the presence of the Almighty. We're going to see this together. But church, if we go into things expecting this kind of revelation of who God is, um, there's two things. Worship shouldn't make you bored, <laughs> but you also shouldn't expect it to entertain you. This is what I'm discovering. It's real to me. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something that I, I um, honestly do not mean to offend by saying this, but I need you to hear it. Um, I don't care about the way that you prefer we sing a song. I care about you deeply, each and every one of you. I am for you. I am cheering you on. I want the very best for you. But... I don't really care about your personal preference of how we do a song or not. That's not really what worship is about, nor should it really be what you ask of me, frankly. Our worship, and this is convicting and challenging to me too, church, is that it should actually convey a deep respect for the holiness, the majesty, the joy, and the power of the Almighty God. That's what our worship should convey. That's what it should do. Not, not serve our desires, not serve our preferences, but convey our absolute reverence for the holy of holies. That is what our worship should do. That is what you should be encouraging me to do. Pursuing the holy almighty God. Matthew eighteen twenty says this, for there where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. Wow. 
we have an opportunity. When we come together to worship, we, we come bringing our lives as a living, holy sacrifice before God. We should leave knowing that we were in the presence of God. That we were in the presence of God together. You know, we, we should never walk out of those doors being like, see you next week, and go home and do the same thing again. We should never be in a position to leave the same way. I constantly pray in my own life and for you that we would leave different than we came today. Why do I pray that way? Because I hope that this revelation of being together, experiencing the presence of God where two or three are gathered, would so change my life that it would be impossible for me to come back next week and be in the same pit of despair that I was in before I came. It doesn't have to be deep and dark and depressing. It can be whatever we're going through in life. I should have a unique perspective leaving here that God has positioned me and is so incredible and I am in awe of him in everything I do the moment I leave here. We should bring our lives to him as a holy sacrifice before God and then leave recognizing that we have experienced him together. Because it's true, we don't, we don't sing to one another. We don't pray to each other. We pray to the Almighty God who is with us today. Isaiah had a keen sense of God's presence when he received this calling on his life into prophetic ministry. Um, and we can expect one more thing. Well, there's three more things, but I'm going to say the next one. Number two is this. We can expect a conviction of our own sinfulness. This is challenging. If worship brings us close to God, the closeness to God should cause us to see ourselves as we really are. And we are imperfect. And when Isaiah was in the presence of God, look at what he says about himself in verse 5. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When we are in the presence of God during worship, it should invoke within ourselves an awareness of how we really are. We have a tendency to compare ourselves to other people, and we tend to think we're better than we are. Um, I played football for the first time in 14 years this last week. Um, in my head, I'm that 18-year-old kid that uh, still has got agility and strength and dexterity, but there is absolutely no ignoring the fact uh, that when I look in the mirror, um, when all I want to see is the body I used to have, the reality is uh, that the harder I look, I am way more mature than I was <laughs> Um, when we're in the presence of God, we're forced into being convicted about our own sinfulness. It's easy to get lured into a sense of I'm good enough because I'm not as bad as the guy over there. But something powerful happens when we worship correctly. It's like the best mirror we could look into because it's really convicting, actually. When we stand before God, we are then comparing our goodness to that of our perfect Savior, the Holy Creator. No matter how good we think we are, like, we cannot compare to that. We can't. You just have to get it off the table right now. You are not good enough. You are not going to measure up when you look in that mirror. You won't. We don't know what kind of person Isaiah was before he encountered God, but, but he was probably a pretty good one. And when standing before perfect holiness, the reason I say that is because he knew not that he wasn't what he thought he was. And he shares that with us. When you're in the presence of God, you, you cannot help but see who you really are and why you really need him. That's why I think you can't fabricate being in the presence of God. You know, some of the, you, you, can't, you can't say you're a holy person and think you're the best. 
You can't be full of pride and think you know the Almighty God. It's not possible. You're not the best. <laughs> I'm not the best. I, I'm a sinner. We, can't, we have to have an accurate representation, an accurate view of ourselves. If standing before God, you see yourself as the measure of, and you see yourself as the measure of holiness, you're not looking in the right way. You need to reset, you need to adjust. I wonder if many people resist true worship or even, you know, just worshiping in general because they don't want to be confronted with the reality of their condition. I don't really like when people tell me that I struggle with something or that I'm not good at something. Or, or, or even that, like, maybe that's an area of weakness in your life. I don't really like that. That's challenging for me to receive that in a good way. But I, I think as human beings, we're actually conditioned to kind of avoid that kind of development, that kind of growth, because we're all conditioned to really believe that we are in charge of our own kingdoms, that we are in charge of our own reality, our own life. How many of us want to really be convicted by our own sinfulness? It's way more fun to be convicted by the sin of others, <laughs> right? It's way more fun to look at someone else and call them a sinner and to say, wow, look at them. Look at what they struggle with. It's more comforting to know that I'm better than so-and-so. When we encounter God through worship, we receive a true picture of our own sinfulness. And when people would come to Jesus, you know, they would be so convicted of their own sinfulness, they'd be like, oh my goodness, Jesus, like I am such a sinner, please heal me or help me understand these decisions or how should I live? And Jesus wouldn't respond to them with anger or frustration. What would he tell them? He'd say, go and sin no more. He wouldn't represent, he wouldn't show them that he is also a sinner. He was spotless. There's no way to measure up to Jesus. But what would he do? He'd lift them up, he'd lift their head and he'd push them forward. In Luke chapter 5, Peter was confronted by the fact that he was in the presence of God while fishing with Jesus, and this is a pretty interesting situation. Uh, you know, he's fishing all night long with no luck, and Jesus uh, told them where to fish. He said, put your nets out here, and the catch was huge. We read this in Luke 5 verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. What led to Peter to confess his sinfulness? It was the realization that he was standing in the presence of God. It was the realization, it was that mirror moment where he realized, I'm in the presence of God. Isaiah recognizes this, and he said, you know, I'm a man of unclean lips, and the people around me were in the same. <laughs> They're also unclean lips. But he's seen the king, and it's time to make a change. And when it comes to worshiping God, one of the things we can expect in return, the third thing is this, a joyful reminder of God's grace Listen to this. This is really important that you receive this today. The goal of worship is not to leave us feeling terrible about what we have done. It is to help remind us of God's grace, love, and forgiveness. It, it would be easy for us to leave church every week feeling terrible about how bad we are when compared to God. That would be easy. And if you've ever gone to a church where that's how you leave, that's not the full story. There's more to the story than that. It, you know, it'd be way too easy to allow ourselves to live in the despair of our sin and to give up thinking that we could ever be what God wants us to be, but it's more beautiful than that. When we gather together for worship, we should also receive and expect a cleansing of sin and a release from our guilt. Look at Isaiah 6, 6 and 7 with me. I love this. So Isaiah's standing in front of the seraphim. He's amazed at the awesome presence of God. Then he's like, oh my goodness, I'm not good enough. 
I'm a sinner. I'm no good. Then look at this. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Wow. Our sin should remind us of God's wonderful grace. The seraphim brought the coal and touched the lips, the very thing that he confessed, saying, I have, I, I'm a sinner. My lips are unclean. The very thing that he was convicted of was made clean, was made, was made pleasant in front of God. That's amazing that they, he addressed it. There's grace. Once a person is convicted of sin, we, we can't leave it there because God doesn't leave it there. God doesn't, doesn't leave us in that place of just being recognized, just recognizing our sin. God says, no, now that you've recognized your sin, let me cleanse you. Let me cleanse you because there's more to the story. And, and guys, as, as Christians and as believers, that's our job. That is our job to be arms and, and hands that extend to the world and, and don't condemn people, but encourage them that because we've been given grace, grace is available to them as well. When we look at ourselves before we were saved, you know, we don't have to feel terrible about that time because we need to be reminded that of God's grace daily in our lives now in the present, we are empowered to live for him. As Christians, we have a responsibility to respond out of grace, not out of obligation or holiness, but out of an awareness that as we seek the Lord, we need more of him as well. That's all we need. Romans 6 tells us that when we were immersed into Christ, that we were buried with Christ in baptism, the old self is dead and gone, right? There's this, you're dead to sin, alive in Christ. This is this beautiful exchange. Pray, praise God for his grace. This is what worship looks like. This is what living our lives in worship should look like. There's hope. Romans 8.1 says, There's now for, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When we realize how sinful we are, we don't have to feel like we're finished. God's grace shines through our weakness. And, and let me challenge you with this. If you can't forgive yourself, or if you think God cannot forgive you, you are saying that your sin is bigger than God. And that is also idolatry. You cannot be held in a place of captivity to your sin and expect God to transform your life. You have to be aware of it. You are made aware of it by being in the presence of God. But the one true God does not leave you in that place of condemnation. He pulls you out of it. There's no condemnation. First John says, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It's enough for you. And it's enough for me. Jesus paid the price for our sin, and then he conquered the grave so that we didn't have to go there. You know, as if it wasn't enough that he forgives us of our sins, he then conquers death. The fourth thing to expect this morning is this, the inspiration to serve. The inspiration to serve. This is the thing we can expect when we're coming into the awesome presence of God. True worship will inspire us to want to serve our awesome God to the best of our ability because of who he is. When we experience the presence of God, when we realize our sinfulness and are then reminded of God's grace, that grace allows us to be saved from our sinfulness, we cannot help but want to serve him. With all that he's done for me, I can't imagine not wanting to somehow repay him, to somehow offer my life as an expression of gratitude to what he's done. 
And that's the sign of a real transformed life, you guys, is when, when our life begins to take shape in, in that of recognizing who God is, giving of ourselves and saying, oh, we're not good enough, receiving his grace, and then going, God, you are so good to me. I will do everything I can to live my life for you. Isaiah in 6, 8, had the, he had the same experience. It says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Here is Isaiah. He's been in the presence of God. He's been convicted of his sinfulness. He's been cleansed from his sins. And God has a job that needs to be done. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that in the same moment that he's convicted of his sin, God also in that process has a job that needs to be done? He doesn't leave Isaiah there. He doesn't say, you know, he doesn't even talk about what it's going to cost. He doesn't say what it's going to be. He doesn't talk about the details. He just says, whom shall I send? And I can picture Isaiah jumping up and down, send me. Send me, God, for all that you've done for me. Send me. God didn't have to beg. He didn't have to run an announcement in the bulletin for weeks. He didn't have to post on social media. He didn't have to, you know, use guilt or threaten. Isaiah was grateful for what God had done for him, and he wanted to respond to God immediately by serving him with his life, by serving him. In the book of James, it says, faith without works is dead. What, what would it have said if Isaiah had said, well, I hope you find someone. <laughs> Best of luck, God. Thanks for all you've done. <laughs> See ya. You know, but honestly, like, guys, sometimes I leave church, like, I leave that way. Thanks, God. Thanks for all you've done for me. See you next week. But what is God saying to you? What is God saying to you today? What are you expecting from him? Are are you expecting God to transform your life? To forgive your sin? To give you grace, limitless grace, and then do nothing? Is that what you expect? I've asked myself these questions. It's important that we recognize that everything we do in our life is an opportunity to respond out of worship to what he's done for us. For it's by his sacrifice that we are free and covered so that our very life, your very life, has to be an expression of gratitude. And serving doesn't just have to be in the church. It's um, done from an overflow of the experience with our Savior. You know, we have um, ongoing needs in the church. We, we have tons of opportunities for people to serve. And we're not asking for you to sign up for everything on the list. We're not even asking for you to commit for a lifetime (laughs) in that area that you do serve in. But we are asking one thing. We are asking that you would commit to being attentive to what God is and already doing for you. To respond. That is the call of discipleship. That is what resetting our expectations of God means. It means that for us, in our position, to recognize that the grace that we have to be able to live as a Christ follower requires us to live and do everything we can as an expression of gratitude toward him. That is a transformed life. A transformed life is not sitting there doing nothing. And it doesn't have to be in the church. Serve in some way. God has given you gifts. God has given you unique gifts and abilities and talents beyond the people beside you, some similar to the people beside you. And God is saying those things are valuable and necessary in the kingdom. If you've met Jesus and you've been convicted 
and changed and renewed by him, your actions have to change. (laughs) You have to be motivated some way. That's God's expectation of you. That is God's expectation of you, that, that worship, that your very act of worship would be as a result of coming into a full awareness of who he is and what he's done for you. Most likely the problem is not with the worship or the way we worship or the actions or things we do. It's actually with the worshiper. It's with the worshiper. Each week we should leave this place a different person. And whenever we're in the presence of God, we should never leave the same. You know, this, this opportunity for Isaiah launched his entire prophetic ministry. This moment was transformative for him. I'll invite the band to come. I, I pray, really, I do, that, our, that in our church that um, people feel free to express themselves to God during worship, and specifically even during praise and worship. Um, but, like, you know, folding your hands and looking at the time and saying, like, when are they done? That's not like, it's not like a real great starting place for an act of worship. There's more than that in expressing your love for God. And, and I, I hope that you feel like you can raise your hands in submission to him. I hope that you feel that you can fall to your knees if you need. You can sing as loud as you can. You can shout to him, you can pray to him, to God during our worship services. I also hope if a person doesn't feel like expressing themselves that way, that they won't be judged. Because each and every one of us are are standing before the Almighty God, receiving and engaging in a different way. And I hope people, you know, can feel free to look around and to be excited about what God's doing uniquely in your own lives, but be more focused and more attentive to what God is saying to you. I hope that people can feel free to shout amen if they want to. You know, different people express themselves in different ways. I've been involved in, you guys can start to play when you're ready. I've been involved in worship ministries for 18 plus years. Um, Different churches all over the place. And I've seen every kind of way of doing things. And everyone thinks that they've got the best, most authentic, Holy Spirit-led, life-changing worship culture. And the truth is, we don't. No one does. No one has it entirely figured out. But the most impactful ministries are the ones that see their people equipped and then mobilized, encouraged into areas of service. Not because we want to use you. Not because we want to use you, but because God is looking to empower you. God is saying, who should we send? And we're encouraging you that as we respond to what God has said to us, out of our response to him and his goodness and grace for us, we are saying, guys, respond by saying, send me. Respond by saying, God, use me. I don't know what to expect, God, but I I expect somehow you'll figure out a way to use this sinner. Our expectation should be to become aware of the areas in our lives that we need more of God. Then we submit to him, allow our hearts and our minds to be renewed and that transformation to take place. The four things that you should expect in worship are a sense of God's presence, a conviction of our own sinfulness, a joyful reminder of God's grace, and then an inspiration to serve. These things are how God desires each of us to experience the fullness of what worship was always supposed to be. 
It is supposed to reflect his incredible, inspiring love for all of us so that we can receive and engage the world around us with the same kind of transformative love. We're going to stand and worship together. We're going to have an opportunity right now as we worship and close this morning to see and be in the presence of the Almighty God and listen and be attentive to what he's saying to you today. And I'll close.
amazing thing is that you, each and every one of you, are more than worth it to God. And as we bring our lives to him, God is saying that is more than enough. That is more than enough. That's all I've asked is that you would bring your lives before me, that you would honor me with your life, that each and every expression, each and every thing that you do would be an act of worship. That's it. You are enough. God is going to cleanse you and God is going to renew you. My encouragement to you this morning is to come ready and willing to worship and expectant to receive the presence of God each and every week. When you come to worship, bring your sacrifice with you, the life that each of you have. Then enjoy the fullness of God in your life with other believers together as we mature and grow together with all that he has planned for your life. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning in desperate need of who you are. Father, we come to you today that we would be convicted, God, to take this opportunity these next few weeks to reset our expectations, rediscover what it means to know you and to worship you with everything in our lives. Father, I pray that as a, as a community of believers together, God, that we would not leave the same way that we came, that each and every week you would draw us closer and closer to you our minds, renew our hearts, encourage us, God, with the love and grace and compassion that you have for each and every one of us. God, I pray for each and every person here, God, that they would be equipped and empowered with the gifts and abilities that you've given them, that you would call them forward into the gifts and challenges and callings that you have for each of their lives, that they would say, here I am, send me. With our eyes bowed this morning, I want to give anybody the opportunity that wants to know Jesus today, and maybe you've been wondering what Jesus is all about, and you've been waiting for an opportunity to meet him and to know him, you're joining us online, maybe that's where you're at today, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to choose to live for him, to reset, to recalibrate your life today, and all that I ask with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you just raise your hand if you want to give your life to Jesus this morning, if you want to say, I want to follow him with everything that I have, Yes. Church, we're going to pray together. Let's repeat after me. Dear God, thank you for sending your son so that I could be free. God, thank you for loving me beyond my sin and pulling me in to all that life has to offer. God, I give my life to you today and ask that you would continue to reveal yourself to me each and every day. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for coming to church today. I pray a blessing on you this morning that you would go, that you would be encouraged to live radically for Jesus in everything that you do. Come back next week and hear part two of our series this time. We're going to talk about being in proximity, resetting our proximity to Jesus. We'll see you guys next week.